Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Indie Comics. I am your host, Maddie, and today, special treat, Tyler's back. Treat or trick. It's not even Halloween. I know. <laughs> Yay, quarantine. Here he is. I know how much you <laughs> missed him on Indie Comics. Um, <laughs> Tyler's back with me, and we also have the incredible Dave Baker. Dave, how are you do- doing? I'm well. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. We're very excited to have you. You have such a huge line of comics that you've produced web comics paper comics everything in between you have a cool podcast um how did you get started in the comic book world man i've been uh i've been making comics since i was probably like i don't know 16 17 um and i've been publishing pretty much since then um uh and right now i'm working on a a book uh for simon and schuster uh, for their Athenaeum imprint called Forest Hills Bootleg Society, which is a kind of coming-of-age drama about um, teenage girls in a conservative Christian boarding school in the middle of nowhere, California, who start a bootleg anime distribution ring where they <laughs> sell, uh, you know, kind of like burned DVDs to their uh, classmates that might be a little bit risque in nature. And... Uh, it kind of, uh, they, they, they basically start like an illicit drug ring selling anime, basically. That sounds incredible. Thanks. Yeah, so, um, I mean, obviously, uh, I self-publish as well, so I've been doing a bunch of, bunch of, bunch of different projects for a while. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I kind of forgot. I already forgot what your question was. You were, I, I'm just like... <laughs> In, I'm just like lining up my like I'm I'm like in my uh, in my mind I've got I've got like three other pitches and I'm like wait am I supposed to be just pitching books what is the question you can do yes, whatever you, you want here power we can publish anything I wish yeah um, so you said you got into comics at like 15 how what drove you into creating your own comics oh man uh, yeah I've been reading comics ever since I was a kid uh, I was really obsessed with like Hardy Boys and Tintin and uh, uh, like the boy adventurer, girl adventurer subgenre as a little yeah. kid. And that, that kind of led into comics. And then I got obsessed with, you know, more superhero stuff like Spider-Man, Batman, all, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, I think there's something just so immediate about the medium where it's, it's, uh, it's the one artistic medium that I think anybody understands how it's made. Like you might not mm-hmm. be able to draw, very well but you you understand that like oh the thing i'm reading is like lines on paper you know i don't know necessarily how all those lines got put there but (laughs) i know how it's made and uh, there's something very easily communicable about that and very um tangible i think as a young person when you're like well i really like movies but i don't know how to make a movie how do you make a like fake explosion like i don't know how to do that but i know how to draw an explosion and you just put it in a box, <laughs> and then you put another box next to it, and you just keep doing that. Yeah, like, like in comics, you just, you just watch a Kevin Smith movie, and you're like, oh, that's how they make it. No. Um. <laughs> I will say, I think that might be kind of a universal thing, or for comic book lovers, I guess. But uh, And I think it was like the fifth or sixth grade, My I wrote a Harry Potter story that my friend then made into a, we called it manga at the time, because she was really into uh, manga and anime, but... Uh, yeah, we made our own comics. They were obviously incredible. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> no, I mean, I did the same thing. Like, I made, like, one of the first comics I ever made was, like, an X-Men comic where I was really, yeah. I was really obsessed with Nightcrawler, but I didn't really get the, like, the character dichotomy of, like, he looks like a demon, but yeah. he's really nice. Like, I didn't, 
I didn't get that like that as a kid. So I was really I was really obsessed with this this idea that like Nightcrawler should be like dark and brooding. Yeah. So I made an mm-hmm. X Men comic where Nightcrawler was the leader of the X Men, and a bunch of mutants attacked the school. Uh, oh, wow. And and Nightcrawler went outside and just started teleporting people's heads off. Oh See, my god! <laughs> I, okay, okay. Two things about that. That's amazing. First off, I I feel like Nightcrawler would be an amazing X Men um, leader, especially better than uh, you know than Cyclops uh, as of you know very very recently, last 20, 20 years of comics. Flash. Everyone's better than Cyclops. Secondly, green fans everywhere. Both of you guys have like way better like comic like like first comic books. When I was a kid, <laughs> I don't know why. And I, this this might be like really really uh, embarrassing, but I was obsessed with Calendar Man, and I wrote a Batman storyline where Calendar Man ruined Bruce Wayne's birthday. Oh that's my god, crazy. I love it! <laughs> and like, that's great. I'm shocked. Oh, is that's it really? Not a real thing. See, I was really, I was Can really, I was really embarrassed by it. <laughs> but here's uh, the thing: ninety nine percent of the stuff you say is embarrassing, and that's like the one thing that isn't. That's a legit storyline. I found that one percent. I'm shook. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I would read that comic right now. That sounds great to me. All right, let's work on it. <laughs> Dude, so, low, that's what that's what comics needs. Like mainstream superhero comics needs more yeah. low stakes, petty acts, yeah. and less you know giant world ending crossovers. Like I just want. I, I like agree. I love the idea of just like being petty and ruin ruining somebody's birthday. Like I want a whole like. Yeah. 12 issue maxi series about that that sounds delightful <laughs> to me like bruce just wanted one day just one yeah. day or yeah, like just one day to not put on the cowl I, I, yeah i would be okay with like having like a like a crossover uh comic book of spawn in the good place where he's teleported to the good place yeah. <laughs> and like everything he Dude, says i would read that <laughs> i love it i would read that he's like where Absolutely. the fork am i <laughs> 2021 when tyler starts creating comics oh, you know what I, you coming know what? to a kickstarter near you and then 2022 I, I mean, is when I comics even... is the comic book industry is gone because of tyler mcphail <laughs> i would honestly just watch like a good place episode starring you know spot spawns creator todd mcfarlane like if it was oh just todd being like this is this yeah. is how you this is my book this is my book spawn yeah this is my book <laughs> I love that guy, man. I, I would I would totally watch that. These shit. are my toys. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, look at look at look at my spawn toys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so you, guys, you started creating your own comics and then how what was the first comic that you published? To uh, the world? Yeah, uh the first comic that I like I I published like a an anthology series for a while called mm. Childish Delusions of Grandeur and Superiority. Oh, that's such a Amazing. good title. And then I did a, then I did like a standalone graphic novelty type thing called Horrible Little People, which is about a world where <laughs> uh, everyone wears animal costumes, and mm. it's kind of like a slackers, you know, kind of a you know Gen Xy kids don't know what they're doing with their lifestyle story, but with this weird whimsical realism thing of people in animal costumes. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I did some like, uh, science fiction comics and, and, and then I did a web comic called action hospital, which has been very long running and I still make today. And yeah, yeah, I've done a bunch of stuff. I actually had a question, um, regarding what you were talking about with like big crossovers and stuff like that. You've also created one that was called uh, shitty watchman. Which is yes, uh, honestly, like it, it is. It is kind of like a big love letter to like big, you know, basically big crossover of like basically having a what was supposed to be Justice League 
or uh, or Justice Society of America going after you know basically themselves, uh, and you created the shitty the shitty Watchmen. What was that like? Kind of like deconstructing something that is one thing considered one of the greatest achievements of comic books, but also <laughs> like a, just, just a gigantic, huge um, conglomerate, um, like bringing big characters together for and uh, having a dark take on those big. Uh, I'm going to stop talking now. My questions are too long. No, no, no. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. The reason we made it, uh, you know, if, if anybody doesn't know, Watchmen is, you know, one of the most critically acclaimed comics of all time, uh, written by Alan Moore, drawn by Dave Gibbons, and it was intended to be a deconstructionist uh, work examining the tropes and themes within superhero comics yeah. and then breaking them down and kind of examining what they would be like in real life. And additionally, the the narrative functionality of Watchmen the book does the same thing for the mechanics of comics. So it, it examines um, panel-to-panel storytelling. It, exam- it examines uh, narrative caption functionality. It examines kind of how colors uh, can be utilized to depict... Um, night versus day like there's a scene where there's a nine panel grid where the line art is the same on every panel but the colors change which is uh, like signifying a, a neon sign blinking which is something that you know you can only do in comics uh, in that specific way or you know the, the, so, so all of these things kind of they all dovetail together Yeah. and during the 80s uh, there was a big you know kind of uprising of people wanting to own their own work because a lot of mainstream superhero comics are all produced under what's called work for hire meaning that the corporations that employ the people own 100 percent of the products yeah um where you know that really shouldn't be the case because we uh theoretically are an artist a literary artistic medium and in real in air quotes real book publishing authors own their own work so why isn't that way in comics the short answer is because the comics industry was literally founded by mobsters who didn't want anyone to own their own rights, and now that ethos has kind of trickled down. And so Watchmen was supposed to be a big turning point where DC was was not stealing rights from Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. They were yeah. they were acting theoretically, uh, you know, with a with a more compassionate edge towards creators. And because of that, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons poured their hearts into it, and. Um, there was a flaw in the contract, unfortunately. And yeah. the the way it was worded is that when the book went out of print, the rights would revert to Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Only issue being it's the highest selling comic of all time and it's never gone out of print. So because mm. of that, they've done all of these ancillary sequels and reboots and TV shows and movies and stuff that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons quite frankly, don't want to happen. Yeah. And oh, especially Alan Moore. <laughs> especially Alan Moore. And so because of that, a bunch of my friends and I got together and we were like, one, Dave Gibbons doesn't give enough, he doesn't get enough credit for the work that he did in Watchmen because everybody talks about Alan Moore, Alan Moore, Alan Moore, Alan yeah. Moore, which I agree, Alan Moore is a fucking genius, but that book it's isn't... Only, yeah, it's not it's only him. He's only half of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. He's literally only half the equation. It, it's and crazy. So we, um, like it, it's kind of like um, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But like the night, no, no. the nightmare before Christmas. Everybody's like, "Oh, Tim Burton, Tim Burton, Tim Burton." And you're like, "But he, you know, he didn't like direct it, right? You know, he just kind of like he wasn't even there most of the time. It was Henry, yeah, Selleck. It was like this other guy, and like, and then the Coraline came out, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, and, you know, the director Coraline." Everybody was like crapping on them, be like, "Oh, it's not Tim Burton." And they're like, 
dude, come on. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Henry, Henry, Henry Selleck's a fucking genius. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so, but we made the book kind of as, you know, as a, uh, an ironic, like, deconstruction of the most famous deconstructionist comic. Because <laughs> we, we redrew the whole book page for page, panel for panel, just very, very poorly. Um, one, because dumb drawings <laughs> are funny. And two, because like I said, as, as an artistic exercise to try and reverse engineer the compositional elements within the pages. Um, and I, I, I put it together and it's, it's me, Nicole Goo, Robert Negretti, Clay Merle, uh, uh shit, uh, Rachel Dukes, uh, fuck a shitload of people. Yeah. Chuck Kerr. There's a, there's like, there's like 11 cartoonists and me in, in the book. Um, with the goal of it being, like I said, you know, a kind of like, why can't we, it's as a, as a manifesto, A, for the, the, the power of the medium and B, the fact that creators should own their own work. Yeah. And it's, well, uh, it's and, very depressing that they don't. And that's actually and kind of the whole point, point of our show, which is like, we're talking yeah. to people who do create their own or who do own their creative work. I'm yeah, so sorry, exactly. And, and no, that was exactly kind of where I was going as far as you know, what does indie comics mean to you then in that, you know, almost all of it is creator own work or with a small publishing house that gives creators their own space to create and to own their own work. Um, what does that mean to you as a, as a creator? I mean, for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, uh, I'm a pretty stalwart standard bearer in that I, <laughs> I think it's a pretty simple thing. I think people should own the work they create. Like, I think there's a difference when you're working on Batman now. Like, yeah. I understand after 80 years, if you're writing a Batman story, you probably aren't going to own Batman. <laughs> however, however, if you created an ancillary character, I think you should probably get a small percentage of whatever that character generates. Absolutely. Um, because I don't, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Like, And I think you know, it's weird. Dude, like, it's only the people who have such a huge high, like, I, I think, doesn't Todd McFarlane still at least get something from, like, Venom? Uh, I believe. That's, I mean, let's put it this way. I don't know what his contract is, but I don't think Todd McFarlane would be going around being like, oh, yeah, but you see this Venom movie, but it's yeah. pretty good, but he I know. wouldn't be saying that shit if he didn't get a little something exactly i know something like it shouldn't it shouldn't even be your status at all and i think i think that's where it's even worse where it's like oh you're big enough to be able to buy your, to have your own comic as a or a character as opposed to somebody who has been working so hard on doing different things and coming in and creating somebody and they're just like yeah yeah it's like you can create this character but you're just not big enough to own it and that's just sucks yeah and i and i think like i said i think there is something different between working like look if you're if you're gonna work in that work for hire system of licensed transformer comics or batman comics <laughs> or whatever it is more power to you that's cool there's a lot of stuff in that world that i like too and if you want to you know work in that world that's cool but that's a, almost a separate conversation from like the fact that there are so many publishers who put out books that are completely generated whole cloth from the imaginations of the people yeah involved in putting those lines on paper and yet the people only own a minority stake in their work if at all, absolutely, like, that fucking sucks. Like, yeah, that's that's where that's what really gets me is when all these shitty IP farm companies come into comics with movie money and they have their shitty screenplays and they hire <laughs> you know artists to make their screenplays into comics, which is just not the way comics works work. as a medium. Like I, it's just they're just bad. Yeah, is I, that I, one of the reasons that you created a web comic? Uh. I, the reason I created a webcomic is because I it was too poor to pay for paper. I was like, 
fuck this. You Let's know, just put this all online for right But now. you have complete control over it, and it goes up instantly. I mean, that is a oh, lot yeah. of power for the creator. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, at this point, you know, I've kind of got my little fiefdom, my little hustle of, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm putting one foot in front of the other, publishing books and working with some publishers, which is really nice. But yeah. also, you know, self-publishing is really important to me specifically because of the autonomy and the freedom and the control. Because, yeah. you know, even when you are working on an air quotes creative endeavor with a larger publisher, you know, there there just is there's going to be flexibility. It's all, it's a collaborative medium. So someone's going to have an opinion and I may like that opinion, but I also may not. And sometimes, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles. Sometimes you're like, you know what? I don't really love that opinion, but you know what? That we're going to put that in the book just because I know that we need to get it to the next level, you know? Whereas when it's, when it's self-publishing, um, like it's just me and the artist, you know, and that's, that's, or just me, you know, like when I draw the things that I've written myself, you know, like with Action yeah. Hospital or something. I actually have a question about like creating a webcomic uh, as opposed to something that is printed. Um, with a webcomic, do you feel like that there is a um, kind of like a weight or like a, like a difference in creating uh, like either one, like having something on the web that is not, I mean, I guess technically, you know, written and written on paper, written in stone. Um, do you feel like there's maybe a little bit more freedom in a webcomic as opposed to making uh, printing your own comic book? Um, it's interesting. I think they are different only in terms of that people tend to take them for granted in different ways. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas webcomics, and maybe I would feel differently if one of my webcomics had turned into a bazillion click you know, <laughs> massive viewed thing, but you know, they didn't and they're, they are what they are. Um, weirdly enough, when I was publishing action hospital predominantly online, it, I had a bunch of readers in Russia, which was really cool. Mm. That was really weird. Um, but I guess that's a, that's a side note. Um, yeah, I feel like the nice thing about comics, uh, web comics is they're really easy to make. They're really easy to upload. Um, but they also are very difficult to get anybody to really care about or like they, because they're so easy to kind of get out there, they also kind of go away really quickly. That's true. You know what I mean? Whereas like with the internet. Yeah. It's kind of like with a lot of things that are that digital versus physical, where like, if you have, if you have like a a collection of games that like grabs people's attention, you don't but like, you know, if you have a a digital game, like nobody either knows that you have it or like it, 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 it's kind of like weird. Or if you have a comic book, like he's like, somebody can see, a um i mean a trade paperback on a bookshelf and read the side of it oh you do have this that's that's interesting or they can at least uh find it a lot easier than per se like a like a web comic where i guess that's more of yeah and, word I, of and, mouth. I, and it kind of totally and it kind of goes the same way for for print comics too where yeah. like the print comics thing is like a you know fewer people will see it because it's you know there's two thousand copies of fucking action hospital in my house right now but <laughs> When when I am in front of somebody and it it is going to be that one to one connection, the the connection is is greater. And so you know, the, yeah. I guess the, the 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 issue there, the fulcrum, is attempting to assess which plan of attack is the best reward for your energy spent. You know, is it better to you know try and shotgun blast on the web and hopefully you get people who are really into the thing you're making, or is it better to kind of you know, build an army soldier by soldier in person, or can you do both at the same time? Yeah. I don't know. 
Um, yeah. What do you think was the greatest challenge then in kind of going between these two mediums? Because you're doing both. Action Hospital is continuing, right? Do you yeah. have some long-term fans? I mean, has that kind of fed into making physical copies of comics? Because also, to your point, you know, people in Russia can read it immediately versus with a physical copy, you have to really promote it and ship it. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a very different business where it's a lot more local and you have to work harder to make it global. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've made three volumes of Action Hospital, each one, you know, above 200 pages each. Um, the the high concept of the book is kind of like what if Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Men in Black had a baby. So it's about like a <laughs> hospital that services people with extreme or otherworldly needs. And the book kind of has weird metatextual elements to it. Um, uh, and uh, it's also executed in a little bit different way in that each volume stands alone and is its yeah. own kind of, you know, individual creature. And also each volume has a very specific design remit to it where volume one, I write it all and I draw one of the characters and all the other characters in the hospital are paired with individual artists. So whenever they show up, they're always drawn by the same person. So sometimes you have like nine different artists all drawing on the same page, working on a scene together. That's phenomenal. That is awesome. I love that. That's actually the first time that we've had anything like that on the show. So that's that, great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, what is it? It's, what is it like to coordinate all of that, though? I mean, having so many artists and having to kind of stitch it together. Is that a huge challenge? Um, no, it was very easy to corral <laughs> nine people. It was so easy. The book, the book definitely didn't take four and a half years to complete. Oh, wow. No, it was, it was wow. very, very easy. Um, I mean, with that timing, then I, I mean, that's a long time to be working on one project. How have you grown with the growth of Action Hospital? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I think, um, Action Hospital, uh, it's interesting because it's, you know, I mean, I've, I think I've published probably like, I don't even know now, like 12 or 13 books with, uh, with my partner, Nicole Gu, um, uh, the artist of Shadow with a Batgirl on sale right now. Go buy it. Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but we, we self-publish together and, and, you know, she draws some stuff that I write and she draws some stuff that she writes and, um, and, so it's it's interesting because kind of over the course of making Action Hospital, um, life has changed quite a bit just due to the like Action Hospital was the the book that my friends and I made in my kitchen. And it was very let's all get yeah. together and do a thing. <laughs> and then over the course of it existing, it really evolved into Nicole and I making things and in, you know, becoming professional creators and touring the country. And, yeah. Her, her uh, drawing this, you know, big two Batgirl book, um, you know, and, awesome. and then us, us selling this this book to Simon and Schuster, and we have another book that's signed with a publisher that hasn't been announced yet, and like me doing a Kickstarter, or we've done multiple Kickstarters now, and like, yeah. so that's kind of Action Hospital, kind of feels like in some ways the the bedrock that everything else is built off of, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I actually have a question. Like, so you know, you you work with you know, work with a uh, with a partner, and uh, again, you, you you're working with um, Simon and Schuster, and uh, and uh, now another upcoming um, publisher, and then you also worked on Kickstarter. What is it like to kind of maintain that partnership while creating these things? 
um, and uh, how how is it kind of different whenever you do like different mediums? Like I, I consider a Kickstarter comic. Like yes, it is a comic book, but I feel like they're always different because it is a community effort as opposed to like where a yeah. publisher. It is. It's something that you're like. This is. This is available. This is. This is like. It's. I feel like a Kickstarter is more about you, and your creation, and a publisher is more about you creating something that is out there and could and uh, is also for. I guess targeted towards an audience because there's a lot of business with a publisher where they're telling you things that you can can't do. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, <clears throat> I, I would say that, you know, the the last Kickstarter I did was for a book called. Night Hunters, which is currently being drawn by Alexis Zirit, who is the artist of Space Riders and Tarantula. And um, it's a four-issue miniseries that we did a Kickstarter for uh, towards the end of last year. And um, it's been it's been very rewarding to kind of... Because I had done a Kickstarter for one of the Action Hospital volumes and a Kickstarter for... Uh, one of the volumes of Fuck Off Squad, the book that Nicole and I make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, doing it as almost kind of like a, hey, guys, usually I come to you with a finished book and then we just pay for printing. But we're going to do it in a slightly different way now. has been really fun and interesting. And um, it's been cool to see people kind of excited about an idea and help us to make that idea a reality. You know, does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's that, it's kind of that way all the time, but like, I, it, but it, it feels different when the thing's not done yet, you know? Yeah, um, they're just different kind of mediums within the medium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like with indie comics, you can kind of like, there's so many different um, aspects of it, like where you have a web comic, you have a Kickstarter comic, you have something that's being published by like one of the bigger publishers, and something that's that's from like a smaller publisher. I just feel like there's always different. Um, like the the content is always different between like where it's coming from a little bit. Yeah, I mean and to a certain degree, you know, it's kind of fun to attempt like for me personally it's kind of funny to or fun to like try and hack that system and like feel like hey, <laughs> certain editor that I've talked to before, I know you like this kind of stuff. This is my pitch for a book that's like this. What do you think? Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes they're like, "Oh yeah, that's great. Let's do it." And sometimes they're like, mm, "Nah." <laughs> yeah. And then you and then you just get obsessed with it, and you're like, no, but I'm gonna make this, goddammit. Like, it's gonna happen. I don't care if anybody else publishes. I'm gonna publish this. Well, and you have a new uh, a new comic that has just kind of been released, and you can pre-order it on your website, heydavebaker.com. Uh, Vicky the Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a it's a fictionalized retelling of the 1950s behind the scenes drama at Mattel that spawned the creation of Barbie. Oh, wow. Um, I wrote it, and it's illustrated, illustrated, colored, lettered, and designed by Ryan Quackenbush um, out of Arizona. Very, very, very talented artist and a hell of a nice guy. Yeah. And, uh, Great last yeah, name. I, like, honestly, I really am envious of that last name. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty great last name. Um, <laughs> ironically, uh, the co-host of the podcast I do, Andrew Price, yesterday texted me and was like, so I just found an old script that I wrote where there's a character named Quackenbush, and I could have sworn that I had made that name up, but I guess I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, Ryan and I, uh, you know, we we got this harebrained idea of doing a story, a kind of like, you know, a, a remix in, inspired by, you know, based on a true story esque um, 
you know, a, a comic about what the behind the scenes drama was that spawned the creation of like one of the most successful toys of all time, which is really crazy. If if you don't know, um, the, the the Mattel, the company was was run by a brother and a sister, the Handlers, and Ruth Handler, the sister, got the idea of creating Barbie when she went to Germany and saw these little um, these little girl doll playthings um, that were basically like think of them as like Barbie 1.0 oh, and wow. she was like we should bring those here to the states rebrand them and have them targeted at little girls and so she had one of their in-house designers this guy this guy named Jack Ryan um, uh, <laughs> design the actual like armature apparatus that would become Barbie and there was a provision in this guy's contract because he was a rocket designer Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was. A, he, he worked at Raytheon. He was a rocket designer, and he, in order to leave the very lucrative military-industrial complex, Mattel offered him a deal where he would get one percent of all the toys that he designed. So mm. he designed Barbie overnight, becomes a like literal yeah. millionaire, which in 1950s money is like a billionaire today. That's insane. And this like unlocked this crazy part of his personality, where, uh, you know, to put it politely, he had a he had a predilection for women of the night, you might say. <laughs> and, I, I want uh, to imagine he, like a parallel universe where like he didn't take the uh, the job and like we're like colonizing Mars already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just it's but then there's all this crazy behind the scenes drama of like Mattel not wanting to pay him because he had this very public prostitution habit and these oh, wow. kind of like you know he got arrested a few times and he, he developed substance use <laughs> problems and like. That's crazy. Yeah, all this stuff. And, like, nobody talks. Like, I feel like, you know, there there is a very fervent fan base around Barbie, obviously. But it, I feel like the, the like, behind the scenes of Mattel isn't as public as maybe some other companies like Disney or Marvel or something like that. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of decided to take some of that and, like, remix it a little bit, change the names so we don't get sued by yeah. Mattel. But... <laughs> All of the actual story stuff in there is it just is the stuff that happened, um, but yeah, Ryan Ryan illustrated the the shit out of it, man. It, it looks it looks great. That's amazing. Um, I can't wait to see this. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. What would you say? You have such a diverse <laughs> kind of background of work and just lots of cool, very very different pieces. What would you say is kind of a theme that runs through your work, or something that you really want readers to get out of it? Hmm. Um, I would say that the goal for me when, when I'm sitting down with that, that rather infuriating blank page, the goal for me is to do something that I haven't done before. So I guess the goal is kind of like, you know, I, I think about somebody like Madonna, like she has had to reinvent herself 15, 20 times over the course of her career, where if you look at her contemporary male you know, pop equivalents, maybe they reinvented themselves once, yeah. maybe twice. But she is just a machine of continually finding new avenues and new things to do and new stylistic, iterative approaches to the very simple kind of, all right, I'm making pop songs, but like, how do I repackage that? And how do I explore something new? How do I take a risk? How do yeah. I swing for the fences? And and I think and still be Madonna. 
Yeah, totally. Like, and what's 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 that nougaty core uh, that makes her Madonna, right? Yeah. Um, uh, the the ineffable quality that still has you know a fan base now, fucking fifty years after she started, um, or forty years, whatever it is, and um, yeah, I guess I guess part of that, like, I'm I'm very um obsessed with kind of people who take big chances. I really like um, I really like the mechanics of comics, and I really like examining how things can be broken apart and then put back together. Um, and you know, there are obviously stylistic, um, proclivities that I have like anybody that's a creator, but I, I would say that I hope that, you know, when you're saying, you know, there's all these things that are so different, like that's, that's theoretically the goal. Yeah. Like yeah. there are so many creators in every, you know, artistic medium that they kind of like, they find that thing that works and then they just, try and do that same goddamn thing for the rest of their lives um and look if i start making millions of dollars off of one of these various <laughs> permutations maybe i'll change my tune uh, <laughs> but right now i i really you know every time i start a new project i think like how can i try and reboot the system and do something completely different than i did before yeah yeah I is like that, that something that you would tell you know people just starting out in the industry like what advice would you give them Ooh, interesting. Um, I don't know. I think if I was, if somebody was just starting out and they're like, what advice do you have? I would say something that is very pedantically uh, simple, and that is just make the thing you give a shit about. Yeah. Like, what's yeah. the thing you care the most about? Okay, make that. And no excuses, no like, oh, but I want it to be a 500 issue run and I don't have the money for an artist and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, no. No, it, it don't you know, do you're something like, realistic. You're like, you're, like, you're like shoot for one right now, like maybe. Two. Yeah, yeah, shoot for one, <laughs> but, but make that the thing that you really care about because yeah, you know the 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 practice of making comics will fucking destroy you, man. It's it's not an easy <laughs> road no, it yeah. to hoe. So if you're gonna swing, make it a real fucking swing, and then actually <laughs> swing and not sit on the couch watching Star Trek at three in the morning. Actually do the typing or do the drawing or lettering or whatever it is that the thing needs to be finished. Wow, thanks for calling me yeah. out there, Dave. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, <shit>. Sorry, bro. <laughs> but really, I mean, I think that's a great message is is don't save your passion project for later. Like, do what you care about and do it now. And, and that passion's going to come through and that's what's going to attract people to it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And also there's there's something to be said for even you know, like you had just said, you know, it's going to attract people to it. That I think that is true. That definitely happens. But I yeah. also think that you, you as a person will grow more by trying yeah. to make the thing that you care the most about than if you're doing something with like kind of commercial mind or this will be good so I can show it to X editor or mm-hmm. oh, I can sell this to Hollywood or whatever it is that your goal might be like. It, it whatever that goal is, it's going to be transparent. So you might as well yeah. be like, I am going to make the most accurate representation of who I am at this moment. Yeah. Well, exactly. Because that's something, too, that like you, you can see through that. You know, a lot of times when it's something that's really basic or it's something that people are kind of pandering a little bit or doing something that they think a lot of people will like you can tell the comics that were made for the person creating it. Like the people who made it loved it. It's for them you know, they, they made the comic that they wanted to see. And I think that that, you know, it certainly attracts me because it's unique and it's different. And uh, that, that passion really does come through. And that's why I love comics is you can put, 
it's more than just one person and and you're pouring well sometimes <laughs> and you're pouring <laughs> so much of yourselves into it. Yeah. I I agree 100% with everything you just said. Um one thing I wanted to ask you about is uh you you are doing these amazing videos for Total Nerd. Um and I just pulled up the the latest one, the tragic backstory of the New Mutants. Um one thing I love all your videos. I think they are all awesome. Are you working on them? Like, do you do the writing and everything for them? Oh yeah, yeah. I write it. Uh, I, I. That's uh, yeah. My day job is I work for a media company named Ranker, and I produce and write and perform on a YouTube channel that we have called Total Nerd, where we make uh, comics and superhero movie nerd culturey explainer videos about yeah things in the, that space. Um, by any so, yeah, chance, yeah. uh, by any chance, so. Doing this type of content, uh, being somebody who grew up and loving comics and wanting to make comics for you know from such an early age, is that kind of helping you kind of re like revamp your love for it as you keep making and kind of diving yourself into it, being a little bit more uh, investigative, uh, being more investigative. That's, That's right interesting. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of am that way in general. Like, even if I wasn't doing this as a job, that's just kind of a thing I do. <laughs> yeah, where I'm just like, oh, I'm gonna become obsessed with insert artist here. Like, I was really obsessed with uh, Clutch Cargo. Did you ever watch that show? <laughs> no. It's like this weird Canadian knockoff Johnny Quest show that Alex Toth <laughs> and Doug Wildey worked on, who are two cartoonists that I'm obsessed with, and they, the show is. Limited animation, but it was so limited that they couldn't afford to animate the mouths. So they oh superimposed human mouths onto the drawings. Oh no. my god! That's yes. terrific. It's so weird, but I I love it. So I is love Tim and Eric's so awesome show good job before Tim and Eric's right. awesome show good job? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Great job. That yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah. So I, and like I you know I I was <laughs> I'm the type of person that like learns everything about a subject so i was like obsessed with the guy who created clutch cargo and i went in like i was on like weird original art collecting forums you know <laughs> fucking haggling with dudes trying to <laughs> buy original art from the one comic that clutch cargo wow. had ever appeared in it was a, a four-page story in a canadian comics anthology but they only they wouldn't sell me the page i wanted they only would sell me all four pages. I'm like, I don't need all four. And they're like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> These are the only four pages of clutch cargo that ever exist. If I sell you this one, the other three will never sell. Like, <laughs> Just take them. Yeah. So like that's, I mean, so yes, awesome. I, it definitely is fun to, um, you know, have my rent paid by writing really, you know, stupidly exhaustive, uh, explainer videos about very niche <laughs> subjects that only I care about, <laughs> but uh, and that's not true. It's not only I care about, but you know what I well, mean. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, that's a nerd's dream job, right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's that's fun. awesome. You are so cool. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Where can we find you on social media? Uh, I host a podcast called Deep Cuts, and you can find me uh, on the interwebs. Uh, uh, the podcast uh, you can find on every platform is just called Deep Cuts, or you can come hang out with us on the Facebook group, the uh, Deep Cuts Pod Facebook group. Um, my The podcast is kind of similar to the Total Nerd stuff. It's a explainer podcast about uh, uh, in-depth or weird, obscure stuff. Uh, it's kind of a po comedy podcast. Yeah. The, the intro that we say at the beginning of every episode is... Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so you can appear 
like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next <laughs> work social function. So there you go. That That's sounds all like something. Uh, that sounds like something you'd be into. You should come listen to the show, uh, or you can just follow me on Instagram at xdavebakerx, where I post dumb drawing videos and shit. Absolutely, and I'll have everything in the article on our website for this episode as well. Cool. Thank you so much, Dave. You were amazing. <laughs> And thank you, loyal listeners. You can check out our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all podcast apps. You can also check out our website, thegrandgeekgathering.com, for articles, videos, and more. Please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know uh, what your favorite Dave creation is. Let us know what you'd like to see on the podcast. Let us know how you're doing in quarantine. Whatever it is, share it with us. We want to hear from you. Give us some recipes uh, because I, I'm... I'm... I need more, uh, I need different food. I keep eating the same Tyler's thing. Tyler's starving. Help them out. <laughs> you can stay updated on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we stream on Twitch and post Let's Plays. The intro is provided by Cranston, and you can buy all of Dave's amazing stuff at heydavebaker.com. Uh, so come and join the gathering. Have a great week, and GGG! Grand Geek Gathering